Now we're down to about two movies a year, and we have to pick very carefully. So I look for two things in movies. I like movies that make you feel something. Right? I don't want to just sit there passively. I like movies that make you feel something. Hopefully, you know, happiness, laughter, but thrill, adventure, intensity, some good tears is also, you know, I'm good with that. Um, and more than that, I love movies based on true events. If you tell me that a movie is based on a true story, it's kind of middle of the road, I will watch that over something that you tell me is amazing but fictional. My all-time favorite movie is the movie Lion. I cannot recommend this movie highly enough to you. It's about a kid who gets lost in India, takes a train three days in the opposite direction, totally uh, separated from his family and lost. It's adopted to a family in Australia, and it's the story of his adoption and his amazing, just unbelievable uh, journey as a young adult where he actually manages to use GPS technology and a couple of just straggling memories of his family and uh, be reunited to his birth family. It's just an amazing story. I loved it. I, I cried over it. It truly is the best movie ever made. If you go and see it, it will no doubt disappoint. But I cannot recommend it highly enough. There have been some great based on true events movies. Recently, I think of Hidden Figures, uh, the movie about three African-American mathematicians who are kind of the brains behind John Glenn's launch into orbit, everything that they went through, super important and super entertaining. Speaking of entertaining, you know, I'm okay with real-life movies that, you know, have embellished some facts. I'm okay with that. Feel free to entertain me. Is Cool Runnings really a documentary about the Jamaican bobsled team? No? Okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. But I just think movies are so much better if they are based on real-life events. Think of the movie King's Speech, for example. It's about George VI, who suddenly becomes king. He has a severe speech impediment, and he works with a very unconventional um, coach to um, be able to, to, to give speeches. If this was not a real story, would it be any good? Cranky rich person works with speech therapists. Movie consists primarily of therapy sessions. You know, I like real-life movies because I'm so much more impressed by something good and real than by something amazing and fictional. I like to see real challenges overcome, real love stories. Love is easy if it's made up. Sleepless in Seattle does nothing for me. It is sappy. It's, it's made up. But the love story portrayed in the movie Loving, about Richard and Mildred Loving, who was a, a white man and an African-American woman um, who, who got married in Virginia um, in the late 60s when it was illegal, the story of their love, the story of their, their legal battle that came a great personal cost threat to themselves. Like, my eyeballs started to, to water a little bit towards, towards then. My eyeballs started to sweat at the end of that movie. It was beautiful and it was real. This morning, we're going to talk about leaning into what's real with Jesus. Like my favorite movies, faith helps us to see the amazing stories in real life. Faith is not about fiction. Sometimes we'll feel like faith is asking us to, to consent to certain things we're not all the way on board with. But faith is about what's real. And faith is about letting what is actually real grow in our hearts and take hold. We want to lean into the good things in life with Jesus. We just want to lean into the good things in life with Jesus if they are real. 
Faith is not about consenting to fiction. Faith is about letting what's real grow and take hold in our hearts. So that's where we're going to be this morning. Let's pray together, and we'll turn to Scripture. Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us this morning. We thank you that you hold out good things for us this morning, that you have an invitation for each one of us. Each one of us here is your beloved child. Each one of us here is just your favorite, and that you have good things for us this morning. We open our hearts and our minds to you, Jesus. As we read uh, your word, um, would we not just be hearers of the word, but doers? Would we take something from this this morning and not leave this place the same? We welcome you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in the book of Luke. Um, Luke uh, wrote down some of the things that happened in the life of Jesus. He was one of the followers of Jesus. Luke uh, chapter 17, starting at verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. They realize that faith is important. They're going to need faith for this journey. So they huddle up and they say, hey, how do we get more faith? Do you know how to get more faith? Do you have some extra? Do you know the secret? Okay, fine. We'll, we'll ask Jesus, how do we get more faith? The Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea. You know, could. This is an example, hypothetically. And it would obey you. Jesus doesn't tell them how to get more faith. Do we see that? He does not tell them how to get more faith. He does not tell them how to strengthen their faith muscles or, or attend bad influences to avoid contaminating your, your, your faith. Basically, he says, you don't need more faith. You have enough. You're following me. You're here this morning. You have enough. He does not tell them how to get more faith. He says, if you have a small amount you can do impossible things. You don't need more. A little is enough. Now, he was talking to the disciples. So maybe this is just true for the disciples. They were there with Jesus. Maybe they didn't need more faith, but some of us do need more faith. And that's possible. That's possible. But I think what holds for the disciples also holds for us. We don't necessarily need more faith. We need to use the faith that we do have, and then we'll see God do impossible things. Then Jesus goes on into a little story, a little analogy, um, that I'll be honest, it just kind of, it, it hits me. Uh, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or, or taking care of the sheep. Does the master say after, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. This is typically what masters and servants do. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. This is not most people's favorite saying of Jesus. But here's the thing. I like to think that God owes me something. I like to think that if I do something for God, that he's going to do this, he's going to do that. And that does not make me a very good servant. Who here does this with friends or family? 
You know, oh, I'll, I'll do this thing for you, but then secretly you expect something in return. And then you say, hey, you know, you're not doing this for me. I did that for you. Oh, I didn't realize this was a contractual thing, and now I owe you something. It does not make you a very fun person. It does not make you a good servant. The reality is God does not owe us anything. I'm happy to do the good servant jobs. I just want bargaining chips to not do the bad servant jobs. I'm happy that God is the boss. I just want to be an influential assistant. But that's not the way it works. God doesn't owe us anything. I want my attitude to simply be, I have served a good master. I have served a good master, and that is what gives me freedom, keeping score, Keeping track does not give me freedom as I serve Jesus. Moving on, we're going to spend most of this morning looking at faith and gratitude um, in the following story, but I just think this sets us up well. They say, how do we have more faith? Jesus says, use what you have. Remember, God doesn't owe you anything. Live in a place of freedom. All right, so uh, Jesus and ten lepers, as Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Um, the Samaritans were a different uh, ethnic group. They were really looked down upon by the Jewish people. You know, they're considered outsiders. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. They would have been social outcasts, quarantined because of their terrible condition. They stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go, show yourself to the priests. As they went out, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? I don't think this was a burn or a slam on the Samaritan. I think this was pointing it out. Y'all good Jewish people, I healed nine others of you. Where are the other nine? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. You know, there are a couple of things I think that this passage uh, tells us. I want to just talk about three real quick. First of all, healing depends on Jesus, not our faith. They were healed simply when they cried out, I am desperate here. I cannot help myself. Jesus, you have got to help me. Jesus didn't even touch them. He didn't say any magic words. He didn't say be healed. He didn't say be healed in Jesus' name. It's not clear when exactly they were healed. Sometime en route to to the priest, it's kind of like asking you know, your dad for money, and he says, well, go shopping. And sometime before you reach the cash register, there's money in your pocket. Jesus did all of it. No bells, no whistles, just Jesus. Just Jesus' authority over sickness. And then we see who Jesus is in this story. Jesus is for the outsider. He's for the marginalized. Again and again, Jesus is on the side of, of women, uh, of immigrants, uh, the marginalized, the poor. He's even on the side of notorious sinners. 
Jesus is the illegitimate child of a, of a single mother whose parents were refugees in Egypt, refugees in a foreign country, before returning back to Israel where they were living under you know, a conquered state, the foreign force of the Roman Empire that tried to strip away their cultural identity. He was from the wrong town, the wrong family. Jesus shouldn't have been a rabbi. He trained as a carpenter not as a rabbi, if we don't see Jesus on the side of the marginalized, on the side of the outcast, we're going to miss out on what he's doing. A little while ago, um, some Christian preacher or or teacher um, took to social media, um, and he said that Jesus was not the friend of sinners. Jesus was not the friend of sinners. He just went to the house of tax collectors or talked to prostitutes briefly for the sole purpose of converting them. He did not go to parties at these people's houses. He just interrupted parties at these people's houses. He was not their friend. He was just there to save them from their wicked ways. Jesus was holy. He could not have been friends with unholy people. You know, this is social media, so he got lots lots of comments disagreeing with him from pastors, theologians, people who have read the Bible. Um, And the truth under his misinformed tweets, uh, the truth way, way behind, I think what he was trying to say is that we struggle to handle the dichotomy of Jesus. We struggle to handle the dichotomy of Jesus. We wouldn't want our kids living like Jesus, right? What would Jesus do? Go hang out with drug addicts? No, 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 thank you. That'd be a bad influence. Jesus crosses all of our social boundaries. He was holy and he hung out with unholy people. He was truly, actually a friend to sinners. He made the most unusual choices in people. He chose Mary Magdalene, a woman with a very checkered past. He chose Peter, too old. John, too young. He chose corrupt politicians, religious fanatics, the uneducated. He even chooses you and me. Sometimes we think this is a big compliment, right? Don't think we always know what we're talking about on that one. Uh, Regardless of politics, regardless of whether we're right or wrong, certainly regardless of race, nationality, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, Jesus loves those on the outside. Why do you think this one Samaritan came back? Why do you think he came back? I have a theory. I think it's because the nine other Israelite lepers rejected him. They're all hanging out together. They're saying, look at my skin. No, no, feel my skin. See how soft it is. Oh my goodness, this is wonderful. And he tries to join in. He's like, yes, let's, like, like, look at my arm. It's so smooth and feel my skin. Excuse me, who do you think you are not so close? So he goes and finds Jesus. And Jesus is happy to see him. Jesus celebrates with him. The one on the margins of society came back, and Jesus was happy to see him. And then thirdly, in this story we see faith and gratitude bringing us to Jesus. We see this man's faith and his gratitude bring him close to Jesus. Who here would like an interaction 
like this man with Jesus, where something amazing happens to you, and then you go to Jesus and you celebrate it together, you talk about it together. He says, you came back, well done, the others didn't, but you did. Thank you, I'm glad to see you. I want those times of being with Jesus, celebrating with Jesus, being close to him. Faith and gratitude bring us close to Jesus. Verse 19 says, uh, your faith has healed you. Jesus said to him, your faith has healed you. If we look at the sequence of this story, his faith did not heal him. He was already healed. Um, they'd already been cleansed, already been to the, the temple. Um, this word here in Greek, uh, sazo, means to be made well, to be made whole. So Jesus is saying, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has rescued you, healed you. His faith didn't heal his physical condition. That had already happened. His faith brought him to Jesus. His faith made his soul well. His faith put him in a good spot. His faith meant that he came back to Jesus, and Jesus completed the work of restoration in his heart. I want us to watch a uh, video clip that I think shows this well. Um, some of the youth group has seen this video clip already, so you know I apologize. Um, if the rest of y'all play your cards right, I might do more things with you guys that I do with the youth group. Um, but this is a uh, video clip not of 10 sick men, but I think of ten, uh, 33 equally desperate men. Let's, let's watch this. Bueno, una, un día como cualquier otro, nos estamos en la mina y, y en ese día yo no tenía trabajo al tiro inmediatamente. Así es que me llevé el equipo al taller y ahí hice mi trabajo y luego me fui al refugio. Entonces, al, eh, yo estaba, cuando esto ocurrió, una, esta explosión, eh, sobre nuestras cabezas a las, cerca de las 2 de la tarde y nos deja tapados por 4 horas eh, con tierra, con polvo. Eh, y de ahí luego discurrimos poder salir de ese lugar, de alguna manera de escapar y realmente nos dimos cuenta que no había escapatoria de ese lugar. Dijimos la única posibilidad, se llama Dios, se llama Cristo, así que vamos a tener que orar aquí. Así que se, se hace esta reunión y se reparten tareas, y bueno, dentro de esas tareas, eh, bueno, aparte también de, de ver cuántos alimentos teníamos, prácticamente no teníamos alimentos más de dos o tres días eh, como porciones normales. Pero entre todas esas tareas, a mí me, me, me dice, bueno, sabemos que usted es cristiano, queremos que usted nos guíe en la oración. La primera oración fue más o menos, más o menos así. Le dijimos, Señor, no somos los mejores hombres. Eh, Señor, ten misericordia de nosotros. Eh, mira a los jóvenes, mira a nuestra familia. Eh, en fin, eh, le presentamos toda eh, nuestra situación al Señor. Así que nosotros acá no podemos hacer nada, solamente nos queda usted, porque no tenemos a otro quien clamar, sino que sabemos que usted es el que escucha la oración. ¿Mm? Empezaron a pasar los días y ya empezamos a tener una oración a las 12 del día. Y esto empezó a causar eh, cambios ¿eh? en las personas, eh, ánimo, en el ánimo, en la amistad, en la unidad. El Espíritu de Dios estaba ahí con nosotros. Eh, yo no he visto hombres más humillados que los 33. Estuvimos haciendo ayunos de 24 horas, de 48 horas, 72 horas fue lo que más aguantamos para poder que estos alimentos nos duraran en, en esas porciones de tan pequeñas, pero para nosotros era importante. Así que duramos hasta el día 16, se nos acaban los alimentos después nosotros. Cuando al día 17 el Señor permite que nos encuentren, 
Así que ya nos empezamos a dar cuenta que había movimiento de maquinaria y, y que nos estaban tratando de buscar en diferentes lugares. But after 17 days of praying, a miracle, a probe had found its human target. And then a simple note, proof they were all alive. Estamos ahí, eh, bueno, orando todos los días, eh, pidiéndole a Dios que él se lo guiara y que realmente eh, no encontrara. 65 days after the collapse and after 33 days of drilling, Igor's plan B reaches the miners. Mencionar también que eh, 22 de ellos aceptaron a Cristo. Eso es algo bastante importante, creo yo. Cuando estábamos por salir, ahí se producen... Eh, eh, tuve que llamarlos a la oración, tuve que recordarles que y nadie me sale de aquí hasta que no le demos las gracias al Señor. The last miner has lifted to the surface. This is the moment. This rescue has come to an end. An explosion of celebration and joy after more than two months trapped more than 2,000 feet underground. All 33 have been rescued. Who here remembers that at all? Over two months. You know, sometimes we, we think like, you know, I wish I could be around when Jesus was doing these amazing miracles. This is an amazing miracle, right? Jesus saw them, he rescued them, and I just love that. You know, we're not going anywhere. We have been waiting desperately to go somewhere. We're not going anywhere until we stop and we thank God for rescuing us. You know, I think that uh, Jose, he had, he had the faith of the Samaritan man to stay, to thank Jesus, to let gratitude really uh, give Jesus what, what Jesus deserved. Um, yeah, it's just a beautiful story. Um, as we hone into what Jesus has for us, this morning. Um, I want us to talk just a little bit more about faith. You know, what is faith? Well, we can start with what faith is not. Faith is not certainty. Faith is not knowing things, knowing facts. Faith is associated with three things. Faith, hope, and love. This is the company that faith keeps. This triad faith Hope and love. Faith has more to do, I think, with hope and love than it does with certainty or, or, or facts. Hope and love are of God. Faith is of God. It's a spiritual thing. The same way hope and love are, are spiritual things. Faith is the substance of what we, we hope for. Faith is a movement. Faith is, is the mustard seed that grows into a flowering tree. Faith is a movement of hope into God's love. Faith nurtures. It grows us. It grows other people. Faith surprises us. It takes us to places where we would have never otherwise gone before. Faith causes us to hope. Faith causes us to reach for God and reach for love. Now, belief, belief has to do with facts, with knowing things, you know, with a little bit of certainty. 
You know, I fully believe that Jesus of Nazareth was God in the flesh and that he died and he rose again. I have faith for what that means for me here today. I don't know what it means for me here today, but I have faith in, in God's love and I have hope that it means something for me here today. Belief should increase my faith. I believe the Bible is, is, is true. I don't always read it the right way, but if I believe that the Bible, you know, is, is true, there are even facts to support that. You know, we're reading um, from the uh, Gospel of uh, Luke this morning, and um, Luke, for a long time, people thought his uh, Christmas story was wrong. You know, this whole Mary and Joseph on a donkey to Bethlehem for the census, oh no, that didn't happen. But recently, as we've had more more time and better technology to devote to to this, we've discovered archaeological evidence that, yes, indeed, there was a a census every 14 years. That Quirinius was indeed the governor of Syria when he was said to be the governor of Syria. Some of these details, some of these uh, facts are checking out on that. Right? As a Christian, I believe certain things. I believe that Jesus died. That's not super hard to believe, actually. I believe that Jesus died more than that. I believe that he rose again, the Easter event, that death was defeated. And most Christians throughout the ages have believed some of these things, as impossible and as amazing as they are. They've believed them to varying degrees. However, there are lots of Christians who believe a lot but have very little faith. You can talk to Christians who will say, oh yes, everything in the Bible happened exactly the way the Bible says. You know, Jesus, you know, the story, he, he took five fish and two, two loaves. He took this little bit of food. He multiplied it to provide for everyone's needs. Oh yes, that's exactly the way it happened. I believe it. I don't have any faith that Jesus will provide for my needs here and today. The Bible's true. I believe that. But I don't have faith that Jesus will provide for me. We believe that God stepped into human history in very real and concrete ways, and that should increase our faith, that God steps into our personal story in very real and concrete ways. These ten men who were healed, they believed that they were healed. Right? They went to the priests. This is what they'd been hoping for. They saw their skin. They're so happy this has happened. They're no longer living on the street corner. They believed that they were healed. They didn't have faith and gratitude to bring them to Jesus, to let that grow in their lives. Belief is in our head. It's real. It's true. It's helpful. Faith is a corner, not, not of our hearts, but of our souls where Jesus gets to do bigger and bigger things in our lives. As we close this morning, um, worship team, you guys can uh, come on up. We don't want to try to measure or evaluate our faith. We don't want to give our faith a grade, A-, minus, C+. Right? That's not helpful. We just want to let that corner of our souls grow. That corner that says there must be more. That corner that points us to hope, that points us to love. Faith gives hope and love feet in our lives. We want to let that grow. We want to let gratitude grow that says, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. 
I'm going to remember. I'm going to dwell on that. I'm going to let that bring me close to Jesus. It only takes a little faith. We don't have to have a lot. We just have to let that little bit of faith take us to Jesus, and then Jesus can do amazing things. It's about what he does, not about what we think he might do. It's about what Jesus can do, and Jesus does not need a lot to work with. Let's stand this morning. We're going to move into a time of worship. We're just going to take some time to appreciate who Jesus is, to celebrate him, to remember who he is. We need to enjoy and remember who Jesus is every day. We get so many false ideas that that God might be holding out on us, that God doesn't have our best in mind. We take this time of worship to really fix our eyes on Jesus, to look at Jesus and see what he'll do. Let's pray together as we enter a time of worship. Jesus, we we come to you with our faith, however it is, with our belief, however it is. But we want to do life with you, Jesus. We don't want to do life without you. We'll have the same problems. We want to do life with you, Jesus. So we turn our attention to you. We give you worship. Thank you for working in our lives. Thank you for what you have done, Jesus. If we didn't have you, our lives would be so much worse. Thank you for what you have done in our lives, Jesus. We remember it. We, we stake our, our heart and our hope in what you have done for us, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.